Hello, this is Tim Conley from the International Chamber of Commerce. Welcome to Trading Thoughts, where we discuss how business is shaping our world. Few global supply chains have been spared from the wrath of the COVID-19 pandemic. Public lockdowns, export restrictions, and protectionist measures have pushed the global economy to the brink. I spoke with Damien Brucker, Deputy Director of ICC Trade and Investment, about the response that ICC has taken to ensure open and free trade for all. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Damien, thanks for joining ICC Trading Thoughts. You work as a Deputy Director in ICC's Knowledge Solutions Department. Tell me a little bit about your job. You focus on global trade. What does a regular day in the office look like for you? Well, uh, thanks, Tim, for having me. Um, so I guess on my business card, I'm the Deputy Director for Trade and Investment at, at ICC. So a lot of my work focuses on uh, trying to provide uh, business views on uh, interesting sort of global uh, trade and investment policy issues. So we crowd in um, views of uh, businesses, come up with policy positions on a whole range of the most contentious um, and politically important uh, trade topics surrounding protectionism, reform of the WTO, uh, how to improve the multilateral trading system, feeding into uh, ongoing negotiations uh, in free trade agreement deals, for example. And then I guess what's not on my business card is uh, health policy. So um, since the pandemic broke out, obviously a huge portion of our policy work has been directed to uh, trying to find ways to uh, have a speedy economic recovery, uh, limit the health crisis as much as possible. And to that end, um, a lot of my work involves um, ICC's involvement in uh, global health policy. So we forged a relationship at the start of the pandemic with the World Health Organization. We became the private sector liaison to the uh, Access to COVID Tools Accelerator, or ACT-A. Uh, and we're also sort of deeply engaged with a range of uh, different global health uh, bodies uh, in providing, again, business input into how to quickly uh, and safely end the pandemic. Before joining ICC in Paris, you worked for many years as a diplomat uh, for Australia and Russia. How do you think that your diplomatic experience has prepared you for this role? What has the transition been like uh, from representing the interests of Australia to now representing the interests of global business? Yeah, um, well, there are so many overlaps, actually. So in, in some ways, the transition was, was quite easy. Uh, so as a diplomat, your main function is to represent your country, uh, to uh, convey the views of your country to your host government. In my case, that was Russia to really try to understand the culture and the country in which you're living in and provide advice to your government about political developments, international negotiations, um, and um, sort of forge links between business, cultural, education, scientific communities in, in both countries. So when I came over to ICC, um, you know, at, at first blush, it's very different, but there are, there are many, many commonalities. Uh, now, um, I sort of represent not the interests of a country, uh, but those of glo global business. And in some ways, I see ICC as, you know, a uniquely global body representing not just one industry or sector, but as representing the global real economy. 
almost as a sort of foreign ministry for, for business. Um, and so in, in many ways, it's, it's the same. You have a representational role. You try to understand international political dynamics. You try to influence um, international negotiations, uh, government policymaking decisions. And that's the core tradecraft of a, of a diplomat. Uh, so there are a lot of um, similarities. There are some differences as well. Um, for better or worse, I don't have uh, you know a really big apartment paid for uh, by by the taxpayer. I don't have nearly as many uh, hors d'oeuvres or glasses of champagne, especially during a <laughs> pandemic. Um, but putting those sort of egotistical uh, things aside, um, it really is uh, quite a similar role. No. Um I, I, I like the, the comparison, the foreign ministry for business. That's a very interesting comparison. I'm, I think you're the first to ever make that. Um, and also, I think you have to look at the bright side. I mean, you weren't getting Trading Thoughts podcast invites when you were, when you were a diplomat in, in Australia either. So no, it was, mo- it was mostly Russia today, as, as you know. <laughs> um, since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, ICC has been very busy in advocating for the reopening of global trade Over the past year, we have published open letters, policy statements, and opinion pieces criticizing the rise in export control measures, travel bans, and other protectionist policies that were put into place in the immediate aftermath of the pandemic. Could you elaborate on ICC's position when it comes to the pandemic and global trade? If you had to summarize the past year of our advocacy efforts to listeners, what would you say? Yeah, it's a really good question because obviously the pandemic has been just completely all-encompassing, affecting every sector, every um, every business in really, really profound ways. Um, overall, I think what we've been doing is, um, you know, really saying that health policy is economic policy and economic policy is, is health policy. Uh, so we've been um, really shaping public debate about uh, things like global equitable vaccination rollout, so we commissioned a study which showed the enormous economic consequences of governments failing to uh, deliver a global equitable rollout everywhere in the world rather than just having it um, expedited in uh, wealthy countries. You know, we also um, you know, participated at a much more sort of granular level by providing um, advice on how governments can remove export restrictions, facilitate trade, um, how and what products they should um, uh, streamline, have streamlined customs procedures for, for example. And so, you know, we were doing a lot of engagement with um, international organizations, with uh, governments directly, with the G20, um, with the WHO, with the World Trade Organization. It's taken many, many forms. You know, one thing that we have... uh, ongoing right now is that we're advocating very strongly for the creation of a global uh, vaccine supply chain watchtower. And the reason for that is that um, evidently a global vaccination is the key to getting out of this pandemic. And yet there really isn't all that much transparency over how the vaccine supply chain actually works. Where are the precise bottlenecks? what goods, um, what intermediate goods, what raw materials need to be expedited uh, in their cross-border movements um, in order to get vaccines produced at the scale and speed required to quickly end this pandemic. So we're doing very 
practical things. We're engaging at a really sort of high level um, on, on pol in policy debates. And we're also proposing very practical tools like this one that international organizations and governments can together build to practically end this pandemic. You just touched upon the WTO and obviously part of your portfolio includes ICC's relationship with the WTO. Uh, for many years, ICC has worked together with the WTO to increase global business participation at multilateral trade forums. Uh, the WTO, uh, as you know, now has a new director general, Dr. Ngozi Okonjo-Oelia, who ICC has already worked with in some capacity. Uh, a few weeks back, ICC and the WTO held a joint meeting with Dr. Ngozi and ICC Secretary General John Denton. Um, in that meeting, uh, Dr. Ngozi was able to meet ICC's uh, global business community um, and really engage and exchange ideas uh, about how in the future we can carry forward this ICC-WTO relationship. Um, what opportunity does the appointment of Dr. Ngozi present for ICC and global business in, in, your, in your view? Well, I mean, first of all, I think Dr. Ngozi's appointment and first six months or so in the job has been an absolutely uh, positive development. Uh, she is a force to be reckoned with. She's injected a huge amount of energy into the organization. She's got the WTO doing things that they previously weren't doing just last week, for instance, or this week, perhaps. Um, uh, you know, our Secretary General, John Denton, was participating in a huge... Uh, a summit um, for CEOs of pharmaceutical companies, which was co-hosted by Dr. Ngozi and Dr. Tedros of the of the WHO and the head of the of WIPO, the World Intellectual Property Organization, as well. That's something that hadn't been done before. Sort of more broadly, I think she is really getting governments to um, uh, you know become more ambitious in their uh, efforts to reform the organization. There are clearly things that the WTO uh, needs to change. It needs to uh, improve the way that it um, uh, conducts negotiations. Mm -hmm. It needs to get the dispute settlement system up and functioning again. It needs to start writing rules um, once again on matters that are of relevance to the modern global economy, on e-commerce, on services, etc. So that's all to the good. The only sort of qualification that I would put there is that um, the organization is ultimately a member-driven one. Um, and so for all of uh, Dr. Ngozi's um, efforts, energy, enthusiasm, drive, uh, ultimately it is still up to governments uh, to put uh, the effort in as well. Mm -hmm. And so a huge task for ICC um, to seize on this opportunity and for global business generally is to really put as much pressure as possible on governments to uh, reform the organization and to uh, make sure that it delivers. Topic just last week, WTO members moved closer to an agreement on fishery subsidies. Could you tell us a bit about these negotiations and why they are so important for the future of the WTO and multilateral trade? Yeah, I mean, most people, when they think about fisheries subsidies negotiations, well, if they ever think about fisheries subsidies <laughs> negotiations, would think that it's quite niche. Mm. Um, but it's not, because these negotiations are actually about curbing um, illegal, harmful uh, subsidies that promote overfishing and the depletion of our ocean's uh, primary natural resources, fish. Um, why does this matter? Well, you know, obviously... 
um, if we subsidize industrial scales fishing um, at, at, in the way that we're currently doing, it's unsustainable for mm-hmm. the environment. We're simply going to run out of fish in the sea at, at present rates. That also has economic consequences and consequences for, for businesses. Um, we'll have a less sustainable ocean economy. Artisanal fishers, uh, especially in the developing world, will lose out because you have industrial scale fishers coming into uh, their waters and uh, into, into the uh, international uh, oceans as well and uh, taking away resources. But then it also matters, and this is why ICC in particular has become engaged, uh, for the global trading system. These negotiations have been going on for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, frankly, that's absurd because this is a no-brainer. Um, the ecological and economic case for curbing fisheries uh, subsidies that are by definition harmful and promote overfishing is clear, but there's still not the political will in many countries to make concessions, uh, to, um, uh, to, to see the bigger picture. And the bigger picture here is that we need the WTO to write rules again, mm-hmm. and we need to show that uh, the multilateral trading system works uh, and that it can deliver uh, not only on writing rules, but writing rules that promote a sustainable uh, future-oriented economy. So for ICC, uh, these negotiations matter not only for substance, but also for process and for demonstrating that the WTO can still act. Mm. In addition to your role at ICC, you're also the author of Vantage Point, a newsletter examining the importance of geopolitics for business. For listeners who have never heard of Vantage Point, can you provide us with just a quick description of the format and the topics that you normally cover? Yeah, so I write an occasional um, uh, newsletter on exactly that, so geopolitics for business. Uh, So what I try to do in each edition is cover three stories, three geopolitical events or trends uh, that that I've identified that have clear business impacts. And so I set out... um, an explanation of the the drivers of the geopolitical event or trend, uh, and then detail precisely how uh, some of these often thought of as ethereal, sort of otherworldly geopolitical happenings can tangibly impact businesses. What business functions, what um, uh, you know, are affected, whether that's uh, something as direct as you know government relations or Um, mergers and acquisitions or legal risk or political risk um, and really trying to go into a sort of granularity that you don't see uh, elsewhere because what I was finding as someone who had worked in diplomacy and now in um, in more in in business is that there are these two very distinct worlds you've got government policymakers and diplomats who are focused on and think tanks who are focused on geopolitics and you've got people who are focused on business but often the links aren't drawn uh, between these two worlds so this is really an attempt to to bridge that uh, and to explain uh, to businesses why foreign policy matters to them and in a world of increased protectionism you know u.s china trade wars um, a sort of ossifying multilateral trading system, um, you know, supply chain challenges, um, you, you know, increased risks of tension between, say, Russia and the West. You know, there are a whole range of topics out there which uh, do have tangible 
um, business impacts, but we often just don't draw those conclusions. So that's what it's it's really trying to do. Mm-hmm. Just a just a final question. I guess what what motivates you to to start this newsletter? There are obviously lots of different global trade newsletters out there. What would you say separates Vantage Point from the pack? Number one and number two. I think you know you already we've talked throughout this whole episode about your full time job at ICC. I mean, what sort of motivates you to take this on on the side? I think a lot of people are, you know, totally fine with what they've been doing full time all day. Like, where do you sort of find the time to to devote energy to, to this project? Uh, you'd have to ask my psychologist, uh, Tim, <laughs> about the, the the second one. But it, it is a problem, uh, and I'm working on it. Um, but the, the motivation really comes from uh, having operated in these two worlds now mm-hmm. and seeing that they don't really talk to one another and you know i've had lots of conversations um in the last two years while being at icc with people in business who have this sort of vague understanding that what one of geopolitics um and international relations and, and a vague understanding of how it could affect their business and then on the other side of the coin i've having worked in a foreign ministry and you know, I, I know that there aren't that many um, interactions between businesses and uh, foreign policy makers. So really what motivated me was personally having straddled these two worlds, knowing that they're both extremely relevant to one another um, and wanting to be of use to um, ICC members, um, to our national committees, um, and to, to everyone who has an interest in these topics um, by drawing, um, drawing out very explicitly how they do interact with one another. Um, you know, as for the, the time that it takes to produce it, it, it is a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's really because, not because there's any lack of great analysis on foreign policy. There's an uh, absolute mountain of um, great foreign policy writing. But what there is, I think, less of is uh, something that is um, short, succinct, pithy, sort of to the point, um, uh, and only providing the relevant information that is required for senior business leaders to interpret events and have that uh, impact analysis, as well as some advice on how businesses can respond. I, I I mean, as a subscriber to Vantage Point myself, I can only say that I think it's 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 tremendous in the sense that it is very short and concise. Which, as a as a comms professional, I I appreciate that. I feel like you get the information across in a very clear manner. Um, and I also think too, not to maybe uh, trash on some of the other newsletters out there, but I think you know, you're not, you're not a journalist, you're not a, a think tanker. I think you obviously have had career experience uh, as a diplomat and now you're in the room for all these business conversations. So I think that in that way, Vantage Point really brings a, a unique perspective that maybe some of the other newsletters out there uh, don't bring. So uh, I can only uh, recommend that listeners subscribe to Vantage Point and we'll leave uh, a link in the description where you can do just that. So uh, with that, Damien, thanks for joining Trading Thoughts. We really appreciate uh, you taking time out of your very busy schedule to join us today. Um, and yeah, really appreciated the conversation. Thanks a lot. Well, thanks so much for having me and especially for the plug. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> 
Thanks for tuning into this episode of Trading Thoughts. We would like to thank Damien Bruckhardt for participating in today's episode. For more information on the International Chamber of Commerce's response to COVID-19, please visit our website at iccwbo.org. That's iccwbo.org. See you next time.